This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Guess who we have today? A timely conversation with Jack Hennigan, the QB for the Arizona Hotshots in the new Alliance of American Football League. He sits down for a conversation just days after Tom Dundon, owner of the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes, all but pretty much bought the league with a $250 million investment. You know, someone like Dundon is not going to throw around that much money uh, foolishly. So to get a big name and some big money behind the league that we're playing in uh, as players has us really excited. That's coming in a few minutes. But first, let's look at some of the top stories. And oh, my. You talk about the worst moment for this to happen. It is an embarrassing moment for Nike this week. Duke basketball star Zion Williamson suffered a wardrobe malfunction of sorts. Let's listen to the play-by-play from Wednesday night. And here's Zion, his first touch. Fell down at the free throw line. He's grabbing at his right and left knee as the other way goes Johnson to lay it in. And a scary moment here at the outset as now Zion Williamson reaches down to his left ankle. His shoe is off. It looks like he stepped through his shoe, John. Like the seam on the shoe broke, his foot came through the shoe. Yeah, the whole shoe just blew apart. That call from the Blue Devil IMG Sports Network. What makes it worse is that Williamson sprained his knee on the play. Former President Barack Obama was there, and he just had this incredulous look on his face. And this is a mess for Nike. He said he broke the shoe. That's what Obama <laughs> yeah. said. The camera got him. He broke the shoe. What may I mean, the worst part is the biggest star in the game, the biggest rivalry in the sport, the president <laughs> there, and he happens the to The tobacco the road row, and here it is. This happens between yeah, UNC. No bueno. Yeah, this is, a, this is a nightmare for Nike. I mean, you thought the president had an astonished look on his face. Imagine being a, the, the Nike basketball executive watching the, this when, game. Or if the phone rings. <laughs> like, for some reason, you're not watching the phone ring. Yeah, what happened? I, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of embarrassing stuff going out on Twitter, right? Rivals, Puma took a shot at at, at, at <laughs> Nike. Spat. Buffalo Wild Wings tweeted, hey, Nike, do you need a beer? Uh, I think realistically, this doesn't affect Nike sales in any meaningful way. Where I think you, you, you may see it affect Nike, uh, when Zion Williamson decides to go, pro he's going to be the most sought after shoe contract we've seen for a rookie uh in in a decade possibly even more um and if this affects nike's ability to sign zion williamson to a long-term deal and zion williamson turns out to be the next lebron james as people think that he might be uh that is a massive massive Correct opportunity me if, I'm not, if i'm wrong here mr uh, novi underscore i will but uh like basketball shoes ain't selling yeah it's been a rough year for basketball shoes so that, why, why that, are you forking over all that money for zion williamson because Zion Williamson helps Nike sell much more than just basketball shoes, yeah. right? In the same you way get that him in the whole fitness, in the same way that the Nike brand is now, you know, on PSG the soccer team and on Michigan University Wolverine football team, right? The the the, the Nike has this amazing ability and to, to to take its athlete endorsers and use them kind of cross platform beyond just the uh, just the sport that they play. 
Um, so yeah, I think that 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 would be a bummer for Nike if, if Zion Williamson decides, you know, when I when I'm able to make you know tens, hundreds of millions of dollars for a shoe contract, I don't want it to be Nike. However, you know that seems fairly unlikely. I, I right? bet he doesn't get hundreds of millions. I'm oh. giving you a segue now. Oh. I mean, over the course of his career, he will. Yes, yes for sure. <laughs> well, it may not be hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's a decent chunk of change. Action Network, a digital startup looking to capitalize on the spread of legal sports betting, raised more than $17 million in its latest round of funding. Broken by Ira Boudway here at Bloomberg. Eben, you're you're pretty close to this world, though. Yeah, the Action Network is a sports betting media site. You know, they they are trying to build a, a database subscription model where if you're a serious sports better or even a casual one and you want to read about the industry, read you know tips, uh, suggestions, if you want to pour through the data to, to figure out you know what team to bet in, in that college football game or this NFL game, uh, that is their business model. They just raised CEO seven, was on the show. Patrick Keene Patrick been on the Keen show. was on the show. $17.5 million uh, in, in this Series B round, I believe. Would you say the important part is the who here? It's just the who's who? Yeah, I, Churning Group, which is, you know, it was their biggest investor the before Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports. They, they were in on this round again. Uh, this was some, led by Fertitta, the Fertittas. The not, Fertitta brothers. Not Tillman Fertitta, the Fertitta brothers of Vegas. <laughs> of, U- of UFC, right. David Blitzer, Blackstone yeah. executive and you know owner of the Devils and the 76ers. Casey Wasserman. Um, Casey Wasserman is involved. There's certainly, you know, th- this is uh, a list that doesn't, I mean, it's, it's impressive. It, it certainly is not surprising. I think a lot of these, you know, this is increasingly in the past year since legalized sports gambling has happened that they are, they want to get a piece of this. Um, and digital media seems Seems like a smart this way is a it. way to be in without really knowing how to get in. Exactly. Let's get back to basketball. NBA local ratings down. The Knicks, they're down. Well, we get why the Knicks are down. Well, yeah, the first two <laughs> I get. The third I don't get. I, I don't get that either. That so, Celtics down 27%. Yeah, Bulls down 36. They're not good. Knicks down 41. They're not good. Celtics down 27% yeah, locally? Yeah, I'm not sure why. I don't know. I feel like Celtics fans have been pretty upset about how this year has turned out. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been great, but they're they're still there. They still no, nobody wants to play the Celtics in the playoffs. I mean, they're still a very good team and certainly among the favorites to do something. Maybe it's just all the Kyrie talk. He's doing a lot of talking. The national ratings are also down, right? TNT's down twenty six percent. ESPN down six percent. Um, certainly, LeBron. Moving west, you know, in, yep. in a less favorable time zone, yep. uh, is is got to be a factor there. Why do you think that you know NFL ratings are like a week to week fascination, but you know when, when the NBA is is featuring declines that are you know significantly worse well, than anything yeah. we saw from the NFL over the past couple of years, it seems to be less of a because less everything's of a magnified story. with the NFL. When you're the yeah. big boy, when you're when you're the gorilla, the behemoth. So instead of being the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You know, they were the 780-pound gorilla in the room. That was true of ESPN losing subscribers. You know, that's that's something else we want to talk about one of these days, too, sort of how things are going at ESPN Plus and the growth and what do they have to do to make up for the, for the subs lost, the information. That website did something recently on that. Fascinating world, but that's why. I mean, they get so much attention because it's the number one, the big boy. So if you're Adam Silver real quick, are you – Does this? How, how nervous are you about, the, about these trend lines? I think Brian Rolap said it best. Like in the NFL, they don't worry about it nearly as much as people discuss it. I think that's true for Adam Silver as well. It's not a week-to-week, month-to-month. Let's see how the end of the year plays out. Obviously, the closer to the playoffs you get, the higher the ratings. They mean more. Show me the playoff ratings. That's that's what I want to see. If it, That'll tell me the true interest of the NBA. Now let's get to this week's interview with Jack Hennigan, quarterback for the Arizona Hotshots, in the spanking brand-new Alliance of American Football League. 
He sits down for a conversation just days after Tom Dundon, you know him, he's the owner of the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes, pretty much all bought the league with a $250 million investment. The cash injection came amid reports that the AAF was running low on cash and in danger of missing payroll, though a league spokesperson tells us players were never in danger of not getting paid. Jack Hennigan, quarterback for the AAF's Arizona Hotshots, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on today, guys. Let, let me ask you a quick question here. <laughs> Is this a good week for the Alliance of American Football? I mean, there's news on both sides, but people talking about the league. Is this a good week from your perspective? Uh, I think it's a great week from my perspective. Um, you know, someone like Dundon is not going to throw around that much money uh, foolishly. So to get uh, a big name and uh, some big money behind the league that we're playing in, uh, as players, has us really excited. And I think some of the negative press you might have been seeing about payroll and all that stuff, um, that wasn't my experience. I know me and the guys on my team were paid. So I think it's a good week and uh, cool to see us uh, get some publicity. And, you know, we just had an exciting week two of games. And so I think. Here we're focused on getting ready for week three, and uh, all this other stuff is, is exciting, but um, it's just kind of a sign of what we've known all along, that this league's legitimate and uh, you know people support it. All right, for those who don't know, let me just jump in. When you said Dundon, you were talking about Tom Dundon. He's invested or at least promised $250 million investment in the league. In essence, he bought the league. He's the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, so you do have some real sports business investment coming into what is, in essence, a startup. Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, I think there's there's been some kind of other big names uh, as investors along the way, but he's certainly the most notable. And uh, to have it come sort of midway through the season is uh, exciting. I think shows that the first couple of weeks um, went well from from his perspective and the perspective of uh, the people running the AAF. My mother always told me, don't ask this question, but I'm going to ask anyway. What do you get paid? You said your paycheck was there. Man, Some others weren't. You, you are so rude, man. I, I, oh, stop with <laughs> your little pittance over there. We, everybody's on the same contract, right? <laughs> but for people uh, don't know, what, how much do you get paid? That's correct, yeah. So everybody, um, as people may or may not know, this is the first year of the league. So this is, um, everybody in essence is a rookie, no matter how much they've played previously. Um, and everybody signed three-year contracts that are, uh, you know, non-guaranteed face value for 250 grand. That's 70 this year, 80 if you make it to your second year, and 100 in your third year. So um, our pay is, you know, over 10 games, seven grand a week, uh, and everybody's getting the same uh, base. And then there are some kind of incentive bonuses uh, based on the performance of individual players and your team and the league. But um, you know, that that number is also publicly out there, so I'm not di- divulging any secrets. We're speaking with Jack Hennigan, quarterback of the undefeated Arizona Hotshots of, of the AAF. Uh, and Jack, conversations in the locker room, I imagine this is kind of a different environment than football environments you've been in in the past. Does the, the, the long-term viability, the status of the league, is that something that guys are talking about a lot? I mean, especially this week, given everything that's happened? Certainly more so than, than the other environments I've been in. I think uh, most guys are pretty focused on themselves. I think uh, almost to a player, people are, are in this league. Uh, with the goal and the the hope of getting back to the NFL or to the NFL um, for the first time. So uh, while the the long-term viability of the league is um, certainly interesting to talk about, I think people want to just know, A, am I going to get paid this week, Uh, which we did this week, and based on the investment, I think we will all year, and then B, um, how am I playing and how is what I'm doing helping me kind of get back to my ultimate goal of, um, you know, the highest level in the NFL. And I'm correct in, in thinking that you're on the, on the younger end of, of the roster from an age perspective, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, so this is my first year uh, out of school, and uh, we have some guys who've been 
been around a little bit longer, played uh, a handful of years in the NFL and things like that. So I'm certainly on the younger side. So for listeners out there who don't know who Jack Hennigan is, give us kind of a, a brief rundown of your of your football career. Sure thing. So um, I played in college at Dartmouth College uh, in New Hampshire, uh, small school, um, FCS football. Uh, from there, I signed as an undrafted free agent uh, this past year with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so I was there from April of 2018 through the end of the preseason as part of the 90-man roster. And uh, unfortunately, was cut at the end of the preseason and not uh, picked up anywhere else. So sort of was waiting around, waiting for the call, as many people do. Um, started doing a little bit of work kind of on a second career, thinking that, that football might be over. But okay, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, is, this is Bloomberg, Jack. You were a private equity analyst. You know, not, not, like, <laughs> uh, come that, on. That, that's correct. I won't, uh, I won't undersell it. I, uh, I was working with AutoX Private Equity. They're a uh, buyout firm based in Boston. I was working in the San Francisco office. I uh, was lucky enough to spend some time during college there as an intern and uh, then was all set to go back there um, full-time uh, even before my senior year of football at Dartmouth. But um, sort of had a, had a good year on the field my senior year and figured there might be an opportunity to keep playing. And uh, Audex was helpful enough to work with me as I kind of pursued the dream. And uh, after it looked like it might be over uh, on the field, started working there in, in the late fall um, through December. Um, had a great experience there. You know, shout out to David Wong and the San Francisco office um, and the, the whole team there uh, if they're listening. But after you know a couple months, got the call from the Alliance and uh, felt like it was sort of something that wouldn't be around uh, you know, down the line and was excited to keep playing and uh, I'd stayed in shape. So it was a exciting time to get back out on the field. Am I correct in saying you took a pay cut to join the AAF <laughs> versus the uh, equity, equity analyst world. job? <laughs> Well, it depends on the way you look at it, whether it's uh, annualized or week by week. But uh, I think there's a lot of benefits to the AAF that I'm enjoying that maybe aren't financial. Um, but, you know, you are probably right in that assessment. <laughs> Can you take us through the difference between playing in the AAF and the NFL? White balls for batting practice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to do yeah. my <laughs> Exactly. I think the biggest thing is that, um, you know, the NFL obviously has been around for so long. The AAF is, this is our first year, so we're still figuring things out. Um, there's, you know, no one has been on the team. There's not really an established uh, kind of order or infrastructure. So uh, kind of the aspect of figuring out things as we're going and not having a precedent to this is how the league works, this is, you know, the guy that's been on the team 10 years and that sort of thing, um, that's been the main difference, uh, especially having come in to an NFL locker room as a rookie uh, where most of the team were not rookies versus coming in here where everyone is sort of sort of new. Um, and then the, the biggest thing, and, and this might be specific to the, the Arizona team, the hot shots in the AF, is uh, we're pretty clear that, you know, the goal is to make it back to the NFL. And uh, this is, you know, spring complement as a league. But, um, you know, if the NFL called tomorrow, I think everyone on our team would, would be excited to go uh, back and take the call. So I think recognizing our place, uh, for players in sort of the, the hierarchy of leagues out there is, is the one thing that's different because obviously when you're in the NFL, there's there's nothing else and, and you're you're really excited to be there. So uh, that's kind of been the, the main thing overall. We're chatting with Jack Hennigan, quarterback of the Arizona Hotshots of the AAF. And, and Jack, does what you just said, does that change the way players approach it? I mean, if you're looking to stand out and get back to the NFL, it's not necessarily the team goal. It's, it is about me, not we. Does that change how the football is played? Uh, I think it potentially could. Um, I haven't seen that with our team. Um, our coach, Rick Muheisel, and our GM, Phil Savage, have done a really good job of 
building a team, um, not just a group of individuals looking to go back to the NFL. Um, I think, if anything, it makes guys uh, play harder and uh, play more together in some instances because uh, the football world is a very small one, and most of our coaches um, are ex-NFL coaches uh, in some capacity and are, are hoping to get back there themselves. So uh, people talk, and if you're kind of a notoriously bad teammate or uh, not willing to, to go along sort of to get along, then um, you know that's going to get around. And I think people who are in the NFL are looking for very good players but also very good teammates. So uh, potentially could change, but... You know, when the lights come on and the, the ball snapped, football's football. And I know you are a listener of the show even before this interview, so can you help really solve one of the problems we've had? You know Mr. Underscore Novi Williams was a lightweight <laughs> football player at Princeton University, the winless Princeton University. Does he have the right to say he played college football? Uh, I think he does. Uh, oh, look at that. Oh, come on. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> It's, uh, it's tough for me to give the uh, benefit of the doubt to a Princeton guy. Uh, but, um, but I think it counts. Dartmouth didn't have a sprint or lightweight while I was there, but uh, I know some people that have played it at other schools. And, uh, you know, those guys train hard. I don't know if it was the same way at Princeton, Evan, but I think you can, you can get away with it, you know, with an asterisk maybe. Sweet. That's good. Oh, okay, with an asterisk. <laughs> right, that's good enough for me. That's the way to make everybody happy, Jack. You're invited back on the show. I, I actually, I, I do want to go back to your to your college days for a second. You played under under Coach Buddy Tevens at Dartmouth, a guy who I have a, a lot of respect for. Uh, for. For people out there who don't know, um, Buddy is the man responsible for the, the, uh, the remote-controlled uh, tackling dummies that are now being used by almost every NFL team, uh, a lot of college teams as well. Uh, he's kind of at the forefront of trying to make football a safer sport for the people who play it. Uh, what was the experience like uh, under Buddy, and, and how do you feel you know, kind of broadly about the, the, the health ramifications of, of playing this game long term? Well, I loved playing for Coach Stevens. He, uh, everything he told me when he recruited me rang true when I showed up on campus. And what was great was, you know, you see with the tackling uh, dummy stuff and some of the other things he's out there doing, he's, uh, you know, not willing, not unwilling to push the, uh, push the frontier and uh, to be innovative. So to see that from a, a coach who maybe on the surface looks like an old school guy um, was great. Um, you know, they kept us really healthy at, at Dartmouth, I think. Uh, quarterbacks are kind of a different question because we're uh, we're soft and they give us the red jersey, so we don't get <laughs> You're not hit, getting hit anyway. Hit practice. But for you know all of my my teammates that played other positions, uh, I think you saw it, and they were fresher um, on game day because our practices were were tough and were physical, but um, they generally weren't physical against each other. We'd hit the MVP, the dummy, or hit you know other tackling um, machines and things like that. So uh, our guys on defense were tackling a lot, but they just weren't kind of hurting our players on offense uh, while practicing their tackling. So um, in that way, and at the college level, um, I think that was really uh, encouraging. And I think other colleges are, are following that way, whether or not they kind of get the same publicity for it that we do. You know, in terms of the long-term health, I grew up playing youth football and playing tackle in, uh, in middle and high school and was fortunate enough to never have really any serious injuries uh, apart from kind of one in high school. From my personal experience, I feel healthy now. I think uh, some of the safety concerns out there are legitimate, but people are doing a much better job now of taking care of their body, uh, whether that be kind of their shoulders and knees and elbows or, or their heads uh, than they were in the past. So as a player now, I don't think guys are too concerned about the long-term ramifications and, you know, everything you do in life has a little bit of risk. So um, I think it's worth it to uh, kind of get the great experience of, of high school football or college football if you can uh, do it. You know, personal decision for everyone. Buddy told me a couple of years ago that that he thought that his Dartmouth teams hit more than any other team 
in the country, pro or college, in practice just because they weren't hitting each other, because they were hitting these dummies. How different, you know, as you said, it's it's different for you as a quarterback, for, but for your teammates, how different is a Dartmouth practice from a physicality standpoint from an AAF practice? I think, you know, Dartmouth practice was certainly more physical uh, just because college practices tend to be a little bit more physical than uh, the pro level um, in terms of what you can do during the week um, when you have games at the end of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the AF level, we're not, we have a smaller roster, but we're not doing sort of the same tackling circuit that uh, our defense was doing in college. But the flip side of that is by the time you've reached sort of the NFL level or the AAF level, guys are really good tacklers, hopefully, and it is something that they work on and they do form tackling drills during individual, but it's different, you know, showing up as a 24-year-old in the AAF who's maybe played a year or two in the NFL versus, uh, you know, an 18-year-old at Dartmouth that really still needs to do a lot more fundamental work than uh, some of my teammates probably do now. We're talking with Jack Hennigan, the QB for the Arizona Hotshots for the AAF. The only thing I can bring to the conversation, I played grueling seasons of electric football, and uh, I got a couple of paper cuts doing that. That's about it. That's all I can do. I can't even say that, you know, what Evan is doing, you know, what he, what he did. It was That's cool. I, 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 I didn't it. say it wasn't cool. Thank I'm just you. not going to say he played college and, football. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> with an asterisk. With an asterisk. <laughs> I would like to ask the different rules between the AAF and, of course, the NFL. And the biggest thing that I noticed, no kickoffs. Yeah, that's, that's the big one in that. Honestly, that's the one that I've noticed the most, too, because uh, in my football life, the opening kickoff has always been sort of the uh, sign that the game started and it's a real game day, but uh, it's a little bit different without that. How does that change the game when you don't have a kickoff? I'll answer. There's no kickoff. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, but there is that. that I'll take you off the hook, Jack. Thank thank you very much. I'll be the one, Jack. I'll protect the guest. This is me protecting the quarterback. There you go. Thank you, linebacker. We appreciate it. For Barr's next question. Yeah, 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 thank you very much. But that that element is gone from the game. Uh, The game is is a faster game. This is what I got to deal with every dog on week. You also don't have the uh, the game seems to be quicker, uh, and 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 I think the fans really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not having the kickoffs, uh, you know, as you guys joked, is, is a change. There's also no extra points, um, so we end up you know going for two every time uh, if we score a touchdown. And because there's no kickoffs and no extra points, uh, if it happens that you don't kick any field goals, your kicker can end up on the sideline for all of the game. Um, that happened actually to us last week. Our kicker, Nick Folk, uh, didn't get any chances out there. Even, you know, in an NFL game, even if you don't kick any field goals, you'll, you'll get a kickoff. But, yeah, the, the quicker pace of play, uh, I think, to me, was less noticeable while playing than it was actually while watching um, some of the other games in the league on TV last weekend. So um, the play clock is a little bit shorter. The commercial breaks tend to be quicker as well. Um, and I think it makes it, you know, a more enjoyable experience. Um, you know, everybody has the, the frustration of, you know, a short drive, a short drive, and a couple long commercial breaks uh, when watching an NFL game. So that keeps people engaged, I think, and uh, the games do go by a lot more quickly. From a viewing perspective, it's been positive from what I've seen. Another thing that's different, which you mentioned kind of at the beginning of the show, everybody's getting paid roughly the same amount, right? So the best player on the team and, and ostensibly the worst player on the team have, have, have very similar contracts. How does that kind of work from a dynamic standpoint? Obviously very different from you know the training camp you were in with the NFL where there were high-paid superstars and also kind of low people on the financial totem pole. 
Um, it definitely makes things different. Uh, there's no, no getting around it. Um, you know, in an NFL room, the amount of money that guys are getting paid not only kind of changes certainly your lifestyle off the field, but it, it does change the way that you perceive the team's commitment to you. If, if you've signed a big extension, you know, you're going to make the roster uh, probably with good reason, but um, none of that really exists in the AAF. So uh, that was a pretty interesting element of our training camp. We had a, a larger roster than we do now during January, and there was not a great way to tell by the numbers who would or wouldn't make the team because there's no kind of salary cap or things like that that the team has to be conscious of. So I think it makes it a little bit more egalitarian, and and guys uh, tend to buy into the kind of team ethic, not to say that they wouldn't if they were getting paid more, but um, it's really forced uh, a little bit when everybody's on the the same playing field. There's a subset of folks, you know, the the people out there who think that college athletes should be paid more. Uh, There's a group of them that argue for, you know, the kind of this structure, right, a kind of a base salary payment to everybody on the team, whether they're the, you know, the third string right guard or whether they're the star quarterback kind of sounds like at least at the AAF level that this is kind of an egalitarian you know it's it's an evening out it doesn't seem to be causing it's the Princeton guy following the Dartmouth guy's big word egalitarian (laughs) throw some Syracuse in there that's very perspicacious (laughs) (laughs) what was the question I mean, the question, I guess, is, is do you think that that is something that could work at the college level, right? This same kind of theory where, you know, regardless of how important you are to the team or how much you play, everybody in the room is being paid the same. I think, you know, something like that could work to start. Um, I think the AAF is working on a system where, uh, you know, your contributions determine sort of your, your bonus or things like that. And, and I think I'm generally in favor of, of that system where, you know, let's say at a, at a large college, the the third string right guard, to use the uh, example you used, although the O-line's, you know, always important, um, maybe <laughs> would be paid the same on a base level as uh, the Heisman Trophy winner. But um, there should be some, I think, you know, when, uh, when, not if, college athletes start getting paid, um, there should be some system to make sure that that Heisman guy is compensated for all the money he's bringing into the school. Uh, my experience in college was, was frankly not one where, um, you know, the numbers probably would have worked out to justify paying us. I mean, and Dartmouth is, is bringing in fans, but we're not sort of bringing in the same fans that, uh, you know, Oklahoma or Alabama is. Um, but I think something like that could work at least as a start to sort of move college sports, uh, major college sports in that direction um, as I think they're heading. Hi, Jack. Can you just take me back to the dinner table as you were growing up? Your dad, Lau, director of labor relations at the NFL, worked for some teams. Uh, were you well-versed in salary cap and revenue at a young age? I was. Uh, I, I had, I think, a little bit better understanding of sort of the, the numbers and the business behind the league than uh, most guys growing up and, and certainly uh, most players uh, before they get into it. Um, so I was really lucky and, you know, thought my dad had the coolest job in the world because on, uh, you know, on during the week he'd go to work just like anybody else. But on the weekends, uh, you know, he'd get to take my sister and I uh, to an NFL game, which which growing up was was really cool. All right, that's Jack Hennigan, the quarterback of the Arizona Hotshots of the Alliance of American Football and Bar and Novi Williams. How cool is this? His high school coach was asked about Jack. Ready for this quote? He has Jerry Rice's work ethic, Einstein's brain, and Tom Brady's arm and looks. Wow. <laughs> the only thing left out was Soshnik's wit. Uh, yo, no, we, no, that was purposely <laughs> left out for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you guys are too much. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much for taking some time. We do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. First of all, it was cool just to have Jack Hennigan. He's a quarterback. And he's a pro quarterback. 
And Tom Brady's looks and arm and Einstein's brain and I mean I, he's a good looking guy. You got to say I, this is radio. <laughs> I, I'm just saying he's a good looking guy. But but what I'm impressed about is that he understands that. Listen, I, I'm trying hard to get into the NFL, but I, I'm going to do my thing in the AAF. And uh, so far, uh, he gets that. Yeah, I mean, it's not my takeaway. It's not that we didn't know this, but to hear it and be reminded of it, that there are so many guys who just want another shot. <laughs> young guys, not so young guys. The Trent Richardson is <laughs> Just, I mean, just, man, it, it's what they want to do, and they'll just hang on and play at a level for the chance. The chance, long, long odds, whatever. The chance that somebody might give them a first shot, a second shot, another shot, a last shot. There's a lot of guys like that. Yeah, I, I kind of botched the question to him, but I'm really interested to see how the how the locker room dynamics play out in this league. Uh, in, in a football league where everyone is paid on the same type of contract, uh, bonuses are a little different, but roughly everyone's on the same wage scale. You, you know, Scott and Michael, you know, these are the egos drive hard in, in the sport of football. Um, very interested to see how that kind of dynamic plays out with regard to what it might mean for college sports as we get closer and closer to, to a world where athletes are, are likely going to be compensated in college. Uh, th- this model of what it means for, for players, whether you're the starting quarterback, whether you're the fourth string quarterback, all to be compensated the same way, I think is a very interesting You know what it means, dynamic. Evan? You know when teams go out for a little lunch after practice or something, you know, the, the the top draft pick, whatever, he'll pick up the check. Like, <laughs> they, they put the check down. Everybody gets alligator yeah, arms okay. in the uh, AAF. Waiter, right? can you split this 14 yeah, four, ways, yeah, please? Exactly. We have this 25 ways. I've got nothing but a 50. Can anybody yeah, help yeah. her with this 50? Oh, no, no, do not, do not admit that you've got a 50 in your pocket because then it's a, he's got it. That, that's all. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports. The number of the week. Time now for number of the week. <laughs> we did not discuss total surprise. Uh, we did not. Yeah. The number is 11. Uh, number of people who watch the Daytona 500. You know what? That's just so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> number of cars that finish the Daytona 500. Oh, a cra- yeah, exactly. I, 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 lower, will, lower. I will give you this. You guys are on the right track. Is that the number that of the no car that won? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Denny wow. Hamlin, congratulations oh. for winning the Daytona 500. How many cars finished? There were a whole bunch of wrecks. It right? was it was wasn't that many. I mean, it, there was there was two major wrecks. Well, actually, there were more than that. But obviously, one that had a twenty-one car pileup involved, uh, and with the night sky, you see the sparks and everything going into that. Then there was another wreck where, now I like Clint Boyer. He's a great driver, but he didn't clear a car, and that touched off another wreck. And you know, it was fun. But in, in seriousness, and we talked to Steve Phillips about it, it was lowest rated Daytona 500. Like they, they need to come up with a plan. Like I know they want their hardcore, and sometimes that's enough. But is there a way to win new fans for NASCAR, or is it going to be about let's hold on to what we've got or try to hold on to what we've got? The ratings may speak for themselves, but do, do crashes enhance ratings? See, when there are like massive... 18 car pileups does that does that create an uptick in interest but you have to be watching to see the wreck so i i maybe we're in a twitter world maybe it'd be like wow big wreck at daytona let me go check it out yeah 
I, I don't know. I, I would like, you know, the the art of the sport is what I really adore. And I guess some people say, well, yeah, there's got to be some crashes in it. But the art of the sport is what's really important. And, and one thing, by the real quick, and uh, God bless IndyCar. They're doing this now. They're going to have kind of like a, a head protection, kind of a halo thing a like they have. Yeah. Yes. Like the like in uh, F1, they have the halo. Uh, they're going to have something like that. They're going to test it for the Indy 500. And from the Indy 500 on for IndyCar racing for the rest of the season, they're going to have something like Most that. Most importantly, did your family distribute or did you have a nice 500 mile? Uh, there was some disruption. Okay. Let's put it that I way. I figured. <laughs> uh, I don't want to tell you what it was. Uh, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as a podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. And please tune in next week when we speak with Angela Ruggiero, former IOC board member and member of the women's hockey team. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.